Hello and welcome to Now Spinning Magazine with another podcast and this time absolutely delighted to have with me Pete Pardo from Sea of Tranquility. What's up, Phil? Welcome, Pete. Um, It's been great to be on your show um, a few times looking at uh, tracks that have defined guitarists, but it's a great honour to have you actually as a guest on Now Spinning Magazine. So welcome. to be here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Phil. Well, we picked um, a subject where we thought we'd go for the 10 best album closers of all time. Now, my motivation for this was as the whole world moves towards streaming, um, when you look at the statistics on Spotify, you can definitely see that the first tracks of the album was where everybody listens. And then as you go towards the end of the album, all the all the streams go down to literally next to nothing. Now, it made me think that in old currency of the vinyl album CD, bands used to strategically think about how they segued the tracks together and finishing on a the big number, saving the best till last, was something that a lot of bands did. I've, my feeling is that nowadays they probably think if we put our best track at the end, no one's going to hear it. So I thought it'd be really good to, as an exercise to look at some of the tracks that have meant the most to us that close an album. So tracks that potentially made us flip the record straight over and play it all over again, or deepened our affection for that specific artist that's always remained with us. So Pete, would you like to kick us off with your first choice? I would. And I I do want to reinstate that track sequencing is like a lost art nowadays. And, you know, how many times when we were growing up, when we were younger, and all these classic albums from the 70s and the 80s, you had that special song which finished the album with a bang, dramatic, and left you like breathless because it took the whole album takes you on this journey. That's no journey anymore, right? Now it's either, you know, streaming or 70 minute long albums where by the time you get to the end, you're already exhausted. Yeah. There's something to be said for a tight 35, 40 minute album where that last track, boom, just finishes everything perfectly. And it's like an end statement. So speaking of an end statement, my number 10 is from a band that basically every album they ever released, and there weren't a lot of them, had a great final track. It's like they became legendary for that. So I've always been like, when thinking about this band and those final songs on all their albums, like, God, which one? I knew I had to pick one of them. Which one do you pick? And ultimately, I went with The End by The Doors from their debut album. Really special song from a really special album. And it's I really like how... This album takes you through all these kind of moods and things. The the first Doors album is really a little bit different than the rest of their albums. But man, the end is so definitive of a closing statement. It's a long song. It's dramatic. It's got different changes. And it's a part of the musical soundtrack to one of my favorite war films of all time, Apocalypse Now. And I always like get goosebumps whenever I watch that film and they play snippets of this. But yeah, I just I I love Morrison's um vocal in this and if you've heard or seen the many live versions that are available at the end man he just this was his moment to shine early on in their live performance career so yeah the end by the doors uh special special song could pick any of their final tracks on any of their albums they're all great but this one to me is always kind of the one that sits a little bit above all the rest Uh, um, it, well, 
Totally agree with everything everything you said. Um, and it's like nothing else. It's like those little motifs that Jim Morrison sings, the blue bus mm. following us, the, the, like little earworms that kind of drift in and out of your consciousness. You know, what is it, nearly 11, 12 <laughs> minutes long. And it's just like these 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 little lines he says that just stay with you. And, of course, when I heard this, some of the music, um, you know, was like fairground music to me. It was like so alien to me when I, somebody said, you need to listen to The Doors, Phil. And I was trying to find a way in, break on through and all this. And then somebody just put the end on. But as you say, when it appeared, when it appeared in that film, um, about the Vietnam War and it was the helicopters and everything moving across. It became something else. But I still think it sounds like nothing on earth, does it? It's Have the just- doors ever been replicated, ever? I mean, no. I don't think there's arguably a more unique band ever in the history of rock music. Yeah. You know, you listen to the doors today and it sounds so from that era, but it still sounds fresh and unique it's like because that that was a formula that whatever it was that you want to call it psychedelic rock you know uh, whatever uh nobody's ever come close to that you know whether you love them or not uh just one of the most unique bands ever in the history of rock music in my opinion and and so uh, you know it's funny a bunch of years ago phil on my channel uh i did a uh top 10 song show for the doors and that was like the hardest assignment ever because every one of their albums, and like I said, there's not a lot of them, is just nice. filled with classics. It's amazing how many classic songs they had. It's like so hard to pinpoint 10, even 20 songs that you know mean the most to you from the Doors catalog. There's so many great ones. Yeah, excellent choice. So what would be your next one? All right, so my next one, uh, I actually like live versions of this song better only because i think that this band took this album to the stage and made it an even greater artistic achievement than it was in the studio version but the song itself is still amazing no matter how you look at it it's we're not going to take it from the who off the tommy album listening to you i hear the music gazing at you i mean it's just you know over and over and over again they they repeat the same line but it's so impactful so dramatic and no matter what version of this song i hear whether it's the studio version or the many live versions i always remember growing up as a kid and watching and listening to the woodstock soundtrack and them playing this song at the literally with the sun rising in the background because they played in the middle of the night and with the hundreds of thousands of people either asleep, half asleep in a drug stupor, whatever, watching the who rampage through this final bit of the Tommy album with the sun rising in the background and Pete doing the windmill guitars and Roger out there. It's just, it's just, to me, it's so iconic. And I've always loved this song. It's this is a great album, but what's really good about this closing track is that it really takes everything you learned and heard and gone through with the band throughout this whole album. And it's the perfect climax. It's the, of the deaf, dumb and blind kid. It's just, it's absolutely perfect. And uh, yeah, we're not going to take it is my number nine. Amazing song. I wonder if I wonder if that as you as you describe that with the sun coming up, whether they remembered that themselves when they did the the, the movie uh, of Tommy, um, because at the end of the film they have the sun rising as Roger Daltrey's climbing up the rocks as that song kind of like dominates and moves into the final credits. I think it's a great choice. My choice isn't that, but it is the Who. 
and it's Love Runs Over Me, the last track on side four. Now, it was, it, I, it was between this and uh, Won't Get Fooled Again um, from Who's Next. But this is my favourite Who album. And I feel that just like you've mentioned with Tommy, where all the different dimensions come together for the last track, with this one, all the different segments of the personality of the main character comes together for this last kind of track, which is part ballad, part rock epic, um, the way the kind of synthesised violin sound and the way it builds up and Pete Townsend slides his plectrum down the strings at the very last section of the song. Um, I just think it's it just brings it together. And this there are, there are so many tracks on this album that are special, but that one to me just pulls together, I think, what makes Pete Townsend such a great composer and artist and the whole band Daughtry's voice, great on Tommy, but I think it, it had matured a little bit more by the time we got here. He'd really yeah. found his rock credentials. Yeah, I would say he, on Who's Next, is where he really, really found it. I mean, he's he's in the mode here, but uh, the next two albums were just, uh, he, he became that, that guy. And how cool is it, uh, Phil, that there are three, what everybody looks at as their classic three albums, which they are, they have other really good albums, yeah, but yeah. the three... All have amazing openers and amazing closers. All of them. Yeah. Every, all three of them. Just like legendary. You know, whether you're looking at the uh, the overture, right? The overture is amazing, right? And the yeah. close and, and, and on there as well. It's just, yeah, that's Pete Townsend at the top of his game for sure. Totally. Great choices. All right. So my next one, uh, this one almost didn't make my list because uh, as Phil and I were joking before we started today, uh, we each had really long lists of great closing songs. And then, you, you know, then you have to kind of cherry pick from there. And the more I kept looking at this one on my list, the more I'm thinking, because, again, this is all about what's personal to us. Right. Those closes that mean a lot to us. And a, I love this album from this band and. The, what we just talked about, having a great opener and a great closer, kept resonating with me because this album has exactly that. It's got a lot of good stuff in the middle, but the opener and the closer, which ironically is a part one and a part two, uh, I couldn't not have this on my list. And it's King Crimson's Lark's Tongues and Aspect because Lark's Tongues and Aspect part two. And again, they're both instrumentals, right? So yeah, 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 yeah. Intent, you might see a couple instrumentals on my on my list today. But um Lark's Tongue Aspic is so amazing because it just it hits you with those just evil dissonant chords in the beginning, right? This metallic, like proto-metal power chord riffing. And then all throughout the song, it's noisy, it's chaotic, it's symphonic, it's beautiful, and just it's like everything wrapped up into one. And again, it just basically takes this whole ride that you've been on through this whole album, you know, whether it be Book of Saturday, Larks Park, One, Easy Money, Talking Drum, Exile. It takes kind of all those elements and throws it into one closing statement without a John Wetton vocal anywhere to be found. And you know what? Not even needed as much as I love John Wetton. Great closer. Powerful, powerful statement from a, a new lineup of a band that says we're back. We're better than ever. Larks, Tongues and Aspect Part Two. Fantastic track. Um, my, my next one is is hard rock metal from the early 80s. Um, and I just kept, and it wasn't something I thought would be on my list, but it's 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 a track that, and an album that I've always loved. And it's uh, Earthshaker by Y&T. And it's a track, I, I Believe in You. And it's, because, it's a great solo. And it has all the ingredients for an epic last track. Starts slow, gets faster, goes slow again, gets a bit faster, 
pulls back and then all the races out the gate for the last bit where everything gets faster and faster. But but I think where it also succeeds, it has probably the best crash ending ever recorded. That's an ending that kind of goes on and on as they as they at least ring out every last chord they possibly can. Um it's just it's a great album anyway, but I think it's great vocals, everything about it. Nineteen eighty one, isn't it, I think. Um but yeah, wonderful, wonderful band as they were. But that track, I believe in you, is is just fantastic. So full disclosure, Phil, about a half hour before we started taping this morning, I was racking myself crazy thinking, how can I squeeze that song into my top 10? (laughs) I already had my list ready to go. And this morning I was like, Jesus, how did I forget I Believe in You? Because it's my favorite Y&T song from my favorite Y&T album. It's got my favorite Dave Minichetti vocal and guitar solo on it. It's like it's everything. It has everything on it. And it's like it's it's and it's morning. I'm like, wait, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not the final track. I'm like, Pete, you know, it's the final track. You know, it's like you have to have like a, a, a tie for number ten or something like that just to squeeze it in. But I'm glad you had it because it was going to be a minor mentions. But I felt really bad about leaving it off because man, that's a great closing statement. Fantastic pick. And you quite rightly point out what a, is vocal and guitar playing on that track. It's just yeah. absolutely stunning, isn't it? Yeah, and I yeah. think it really what set. They just over here in the UK, all the lights came on when they came out for this band who'd obviously been around for a while, completely hidden off the radar. And then that arrives, you know, and everything opens up for them. Yeah, a band even here that sadly just never got as big as they probably deserve to be. I, I uh, took part in uh, the writing of a book all about Y&T by uh, Tim Durling, where they looked at he looked at all the different albums. And we all kind of had like a panel of people participating in the album, talking about the albums and stuff. And, yeah, it's just amazing when you just go back and revisit that catalog. Um, I mean, I was just listening to this the other day, their, their live album. I mean, just so good and so many great songs. I'm like, why was this band not huge? You know, it's like maybe they they started a little too early or came to the game a little too late. They're like one of those bands that just were never in the right place at the right time, but they had it all. You had the star front man who was an amazing guitar player and singer and great songs. And But were they metal? Were they hard rock? Were they glam metal? You know, they were just kind of like the, I don't know, they were never in the right place at the right time. Fantastic. I'm glad we, we included them in the show because they, they really deserve to be here. Anyway. Excellent. All right. On to another band that had a couple of tracks that I wanted to pick. And uh, ultimately, I went with my favorite of them and uh, Siberian Katrub from Close to the Edge by Yes. Good prog. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my favorite Yes song and it closes an album that is just so iconic and so classic for me. Three amazing lengthy tracks on this album and that's it. And, you know, you get the epic title track and then the gorgeous and you and I and then this kind of mysterious, dramatic, you know, whatever you want to call Siberia, true. it's Prague. Yeah, for sure. But like, it's just, uh, you know, it goes through all these twists and changes, the Mellotron. The, I mean, it's just so weird and quirky, but I absolutely love it. And it's, uh, you know, a great way to close what to me is the greatest prog album of all time. So yes, Siberia true. You know, I wanted to choose there's those other songs. You know, Starship Trooper was like, you know, kind of floating around my head. I'm like, Oh, I could have done that. But yeah, it it had to be this one. So. Or uh, uh, Awaken was, was what was. Yeah. 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 Is is another one, isn't it? 
Yeah. My next one is still in the world of hard rock and going back to 1977 for this one. And this was a band where I was trying to get my friends into them. And um, they do This was, I think, this is album number four. And the, the production up to this point, the first three albums, which I'll become clear when I say who they are, wasn't perfect. But this album came out and it was new producer and it had a track on it. I thought, this is the one that will make my mates think, wow. So that's who you're talking about. And it was uh, UFO, Lights Out, Love to Love. Um, it's such an epic um, song. Um, before that, I mean, if Rock Bottom had been on the end of side two instead of the end of side one, <laughs> that, then obviously that would, would have made a world of difference, but it wasn't. And that album was a bit kind of mismatched. And the What Force It and No Heavy Petting, the production by Leo Lyons was not as good, as polished as this. But Love to Love just fitted in like a glove this set of songs which just opened up a whole new world for ufo um which is now available as a great remaster on double cd isn't it um but yeah this is my next pick <laughs> yeah i mean this love to love is basically their stairway to heaven right yeah 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 um it's their uh stargazer it's you know yes it's, it's it's great. I mean, I love the the haunting keyboard. You know, I love the guitar solo is great. The vocal is great, and I love the crescendos. And yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. And arguably even better on the Strangers in the Night live album, right? Um, but yeah, but I love the fact that it's heavy, it's light, and gorgeous, and melodic, and all those sort of things. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, an amazing, amazing record. Uh, to me, this and Obsession sit. Uh, you know, Forsett's amazing too. Forsett's got some great, great songs on it. But uh, I, I just, I think that this, the, you know, the run with Shanker in the seventies after those first two kind of space Rocky bluesy albums, I think phenomenon through obsession to me are just, you really can't beat them. It should have been bigger. Should yeah. have been huge. These guys should have been huge. Yeah. So yeah. And it's we, another song that does that. What we, some epics always do, they race towards the end. And there's always a fast bit, and this and that song obviously has has that as well. Yep, for sure. Yeah, great choices. All right. <laughs> okay, what's uh, what's next on your list? Oh, that was mine. So back to you. Oh yes, so it was. Yeah, right. My next one. Um, I was thinking that there's a couple of there's a couple of um, for those of you watching thinking. I'm wearing a Deep Purple T-shirt. There must be a Deep Purple connection at some point. But bands like Deep Purple always focused to me on track one, side one, and track one, side two. They weren't always bands that were kind of thinking about, I don't think, the epic closer. Of course, Child Time, Child in Time, again, was tucked on the end of side one, I mean, rock. However, um, I've managed to find one with Richie Blackmore, and this is a huge epic for me. And and it's 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 from Rainbow Rising. And... I remember being in the queue buying this in Virgin Records in Birmingham when it came out. A whole queue of us buying it. We'd never heard anything from it. There were no singles from it. It was always on the radio, but Richie Blackmore had got a new Rainbow album out called Rainbow Rising, and everyone just bought it, looked at the cover, thought, I'm having that, and went home, and obviously we put it on. This is before the internet. You couldn't text your mates. You just listened to it on your own. And obviously Tarot Woman went through the rest of the tracks on side one. 
I was aware there was only two two songs on side two. They must be long. There must be a guitar solo in there that's quite big, or maybe it's going to go through different changes. Starcaser, which had that kind of Zeppelin-esque feel to it. And then it's followed by Light in the Black. This song of just rapid fire, a very quite simple riff, but just races out. And Ronnie James Dio's voice, vocal delivery, taken up from the previous track, Stargazer, is just out of this world. And I kept thinking, well, this must be, this is going to be the solo. And it doesn't, it goes into Tony Carey's solo first. And then with this fantastic double drum, drum drumming from Cozy Power, and you think, well, there must be a solo coming up next. And of course, and he does. And you're thinking, how's he going to play a solo over something that frantic? And he does. And it's just, I can still remember to this day in 1976, hearing this for the first time. And then, you know, ringing at one of my mates afterwards and, and him just saying, light in the black. <laughs> because it just made such an impact on all of us. And the way it ends with Dio doing that absolutely reverbed, you know, line at the very end, it all comes into the crash and Blackmore does his tremolo arm just on that last note. It's just epic. One of the best closing tracks ever. And no song could follow Stargazer but Light in the Black. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, man, Phil, when I first bought this album, as much as I really like Side 1, I played Side 2 all the time. It's kind of the weird thing, like the the Rush uh, moving pictures thing. Like most of us, when we were growing up, played Side 1 all the time and kind of ignored Side 2. Yeah, yeah. The first couple of years, I was the opposite with this. I played Stargazer and Light in the Black over and over and over again. And I love how both songs start off with that Cozy Powell blast. And yeah. really, if you listen to Light in the Black today, um, yeah, it's amazing. It's a great, great song and a great closer. Obviously, we both picked it here. But it's like the blueprint for like a lot of like progressive metal and power metal to follow you know you had i mean i, th- I keep thinking like those those early ingve malmstein albums right i mean you know ingve can say all he wants about how he didn't listen to blackmore much but you listen to like the tony carey blackmore dueling solos in the middle of the song with the drums going berserk by cozy Powell. i'm thinking man ingve was totally listening to this stuff you know when he was a kid he had to have been had to have been but yeah it's this uh amazing to still to this day um my favorite Ronnie James Dio vocal performances, this album. Uh, and he's got so many of them, right? You know, it's like heaven and hell, mob rules, holy diver, last in line. I mean, you know, it's just, but this album to me is, uh, is one of the all time greats. And yeah, stargazer light in the black doesn't get any better. One, two punch to close an album and light in the black absolutely deserves to be on both of our list. And I'm glad we both had it. Fantastic. Perfect. Right. Uh, Next uh, is um, a band that when they first started to make a few waves in the UK, some of my friends were saying, oh, Phil, don't listen to them. I think they're a punk band. Now, this is because when punk happened in the UK, a lot of us were listening to bands like Yes, Camel, you know, bands like Lone Star and all this this kind of this new movement was coming along and kind of messing around with what we liked. All the music papers were starting to just focus on it. And this band came out from seemed to come from Australia and they had songs like Big Balls and, and it seemed like they weren't taking things really seriously. But I'd seen this album in the shop and I thought, they don't look like a punk band to me. And the song titles, Dog Eat Dog, Bad Boy Boogie, Let There Be Rock, they don't sound like punk songs to me. So I took a chance um, thinking it looks like a rock band to me. And of course it was like I was so used to polished 
production, Boston, stuff like that. And this was raw. It sounded like the guy was, his SG was in the room with you. Uh, and it was track after track. And I thought, I can't wait to tell my mates about this. You know, I've taken a chance with this band called ACDC. And I thought, I wonder what the last track will be like. And a whole lot of Rosie comes on. And everything that's gone before, which was great, is suddenly goes down a level as this song just comes. It's just got everything in it. A great riff when the band join in after the riff, uh, the solo, the second part of the solo, when it kind of drops back. And then Angus does that, goes down the guitar, go guitar neck and that part. And then again, the solo picks up again. It's just epic. Absolutely brilliant. Whole lot of Rosie, ACDC. And a great album, but the best song on the album is the final song. <laughs> Say the best for last, right? I love the title track, right? I and mean, so much of the album is so great and so classic. But yeah, it's a great, it's a fantastic pick. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. My next one, another band that had a couple of contenders, uh, but ultimately I went with an instrumental, hmm? which is, just, it's a brilliant song, an absolutely brilliant song. Uh, and it's probably for me, the pinnacle of of this guitar player's work, even though he would continue to do great stuff, you know, up until pretty recently. La Villa Strangiato from Rush off the Hemispheres album. That's so amazing. Uh, this to me is gives you everything that Alex Lifeson can does so well. Another guy that probably, yeah, we all love Alex Lifeson, but you know, when we start, when we talk about like the great guitar players of all time, does he ever come up like really high in those lists? Not really. Right. But the more you think about him, it's like, man, he should. And he gives you everything in this. I mean, just all the, 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 the acoustic guitar stuff, all those crazy complex lines, the big riff in the just, Man, it's everything. But the, the composition itself is just so mind-bogglingly great, uh, how he and Getty just kind of constructed this whole thing. And it's just such a great song on a great album. You know, this is an album that has highs, highs, and highs, and there's really no lows. And to take, you know, you get the whole first side, the Cygnus track, which is just mind-blowing. And I almost picked Cygnus from uh, the album before it, right, as a closer. But I was like, man, La Villa Strangiato, I just can't ignore it. It's just so amazing. Even better on the live album, yes, but just so good. Absolutely, you know, that's how, this is how you construct an instrumental song that keeps you invested every second of the way, taking you on twists and journeys and uh, and just a guitar Tour de Force. His solo in this song to me is like breathtaking. So good. So yeah. La Villa Strangiato from Hemispheres. Fantastic choice. Uh, next for me is a probably <clears throat> obvious one for many, many people out there. And it's When the Levy Breaks from Led Zeppelin 4. Um, I, I got into Zeppelin via like most people, people saying to me, Phil, listen to Led Zeppelin 2, Led Zeppelin 4 if you want to get into Zeppelin. So I did. And um, obviously the side one of this album is is Token Classics. Um, I always struggled with side two, especially at the start for Sticks and um, what was the other one called? Um, for Sticks and not going to California, uh, the Misty Mountain Hop. That's I was, right, I yeah, I, I, they were kind of. But then when, when the levy breaks comes in and that drum sound by John Bonham, and it was just something that just always stuck with me and and I was thinking about it. Is there anything f- from Zeppelin that I've I- I've always played and got got me deeper into the band? And it was this track, 
from that track, I went to Led Zeppelin one. And then of course I was physical graffiti was going to come out the year later where I was in my evolution. And I bought that, but it was when the levy breaks that really kind of cemented it all together to me, just kind of a, a moving groove of a track that kind of towards the end, you know, and plants playing the you know, harmonica and it's just, you know, and the, it's just got that kind of feel that it could just go on f- for far longer than it actually did. Yeah. <laughs> when the let me break. All right. So, you know, again, this band has some, a couple really good closes. I almost, I was like tossed up between Led Zeppelin two and this album because bring it on home is amazing too. Yeah. Uh, and that's a great song. And, you know, the, f- the first album, too. Has oh, great- yeah. How many more times? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like tossed between the three of them. But ultimately, I went with When the Levee Breaks because it's just so freaking epic. It just it's 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 blues rock, but it's way more than that. And, you know, I'm not a big harmonica guy, Phil. As anybody who knows me on Sea Tranquility, I always make fun of harmonica solos and things all the time. But man, there's that kind of weird, haunting little harmonica thing going on in this song. And I love the slide guitar. And Bonham is just so crushing on this song. And it's just such a way to end uh, a, a legendary album, you know, kind of with like a... a, a a deep cut that nobody ever talks about. Right. I mean, obviously the big Zeppelin fans know how great this song is, but it gets so overshadowed on this album. You know, you got rock and roll and black dog and stairway to heaven. Right. And then everything else and most of everything else, uh, or, you know, there's a, cause to me going to California, I'm not a big fan of um, four sticks and mixing out and hop are good. I like four sticks. It's kind of like a cool kind of droney riff, yeah. whatever uh, battle of evermore. I think I've liked at the older I've gotten, cause I was never into battle of evermore when I was younger. Yeah. But um, but man, when the levy breaks is just so is as good as anything else on this album. And, you know, when you have that big epic to close side one that everybody knows about and everybody talks about the big epic that closes side two kind of gets forgotten. But I think uh, when the levy breaks is absolutely an amazing album. Close, close. It's like a definitive statement. It's like, OK, we just took you through one of the greatest albums ever recorded. Done. Mic drop. <laughs> let's go. Right. So, yeah. Had a feeling both of us might have that. And there it was. Uh, well, the next one uh, is an a, a album which isn't seen as one of the best by the band, um, although I've, I'm absolutely enormous fan of this album, and it's Technical Ecstasy by Black Sabbath, um, and it's Dirty Women. I mean, where I'm from originally, Birmingham, when this first came out, everybody loved it. And over the years, people, it's kind of gone down the charts, but it was seen as being like a progressive Black Sabbath, as if they were trying new things out. And and that song, Dirty Women, became almost an anthem for the Birmingham area where I grew up in. It was and it, because it had such fantastic Tony Iommi guitar solos and lyrically, yes, it might not have been that imaginative, but musically, it was a great, powerful song, which, of course, remained in their set for decades, really, uh, for, for, well, for a very long time. So Dirty Women from Technical Ecstasy, Black Sabbath from 1976. So spoiler alert, everybody watching, Black Sabbath is my favorite band of all time. And there were at least five songs yeah. that I could have picked for Sabbath. And I ultimately decided to leave them off of this list just because I couldn't <laughs> decide on one of them. So we'll talk about them at the honorable mentions. But yeah, it's Sabbath knew how to close albums in a big way. It really yeah. did. Uh this one could have been number one. Uh it's it's just such a great, great song. It's one of his most memorable songs. 
And unfortunately, this would be the final the final studio album and the final song. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why it's just so great. And it's uh Buddha Child's slight return from Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Uh, you know, what more can be said about this great song, you know, from the opening wild wild lick, this just fuzzy riff and just it's just raw and primal and just so Jimi Hendrix uh ahead of his time. It's one of the definitive guitar statements of all time. And man, whenever you would see this played live, whether it's at uh you know Fillmore East or Woodstock or Isle of Wight or wherever, Jimmy just took this song and just made it even more epic. But yeah, it's just um the, the, the original trio proto metal, whatever you want to call it. It's got, it's got every psychedelic. It's just, it's one of the great, great, great album closes of all time. Could have been my number one. Uh, why, a, is it not, why is it not my number one, Phil? I don't know. My number one, I think is, is pretty damn great, but yeah. So a uh, voodoo child is my, I, I think it also has, I think the guitar tone on that, on voodoo child, considering how old it is and the, and it and it doesn't follow any of the kind of, disciplines of what you expect rock music to do it didn't then there was nothing like it before it and there hasn't been anything like it since either the the whole song structure the whole way of that kind of when you actually listen to it and try and listen to the different aspects of what's going on in it the little subtle things he does with the tremolo arm or the bending of it's just in the selector switch right yeah pickups it's just crazy you hear it all and you're like it seems so like primitive but yet it's still so amazing and so classic and that you're right his tone in that song i mean how many like stoner rock bands in all the years afterwards using everything that hendrix was doing back in the late 60s with on that on that album and that song right you know it's just like it's 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 fun there's fuzz there there's feedback you know just hitting the tremolo arm hitting the selector switch fiddling around with the tone switch right Stop it on the cry baby, right? Hitting that univibe just for that little bit. It's just, it's crazy. Just, uh, he was the master of manipulating anything he could use, whether on the guitar and his amp or on the effects. I mean, just amazing, amazing innovator. There'll, there'll never be another guy like him. No, I'm not, I'm not following anybody. It's just, it, I mean, I think it's as close as you can say that uh, it's like music from another world, from another planet, because it doesn't. It's still to this day a lot of what Hendrix has done, did, and and I think that that track would be the one if someone said to me, Phil, I don't know about Hendrix, where should I start? Just put Voodoo Child on. Yeah, that's the one. Yep, yep. Right, my next one is from my probably my Desert Island disc. Um, if all the albums I've got, if I had to run out of the home and I could only take one um, because the world was ending, it would be this one. And it's uh, it's the first Montrose album. Um, <laughs> it's there isn't a bad track on it. Um, it's it's kind of like it sums up life when you when you're a teenager with every single track. Um, get your own work done. Rock in rock the nation. Get a motorbike. Head off to into to space. It's space station number five. Don't have a crap job. Um, don't mess around with the wrong women. Uh, and but it ends up with the last track. Make it last kind of sums up what it's like being 17 or whether you're 64 and written by Sammy Hager with a guitar sound produced by Ted Tumpen where you can, you feel like you're three feet away from, you can hear Ronnie Montrose's hand literally clunking against the strings. It's just immense. Um, Make it last, Montrose. That sledgehammer riff and basically, you know, you listen to that even today and you're thinking, 
Ted was a genius. Let's plug Ronnie's Les Paul into a Marshall. That's it. Nothing else needed. Yeah. Nothing else needed. Just bare and naked and so powerful and potent. Yeah. It's a great, great, great pick. I don't know why I didn't think of it myself. All right. Let's go to the new wave of British heavy metal. Hallow be thy name by Iron Maiden. You know, it's funny because here's another example we've talked about a couple of times where let's close side one with a complete banger in 22 Acacia Avenue. And let's close side two with an even greater song in Hallow Be Thy Name. Uh, it's just so classic new wave of British heavy metal. It's so classic Iron Maiden. It's uh, probably the song by them that I played more than any other song in my history with this band. And uh yeah, it's just again, it takes you on a ride. It's galloping, it's dramatic, man. That those guitar riffs and the soloing and the vocals just oh so good. And I remember when I bought this album, I was already a fan of the band because I bought the Killers album before, and then this came out shortly thereafter. New singer, everything. I'm like, oh okay, and just thinking every song on here is just absolutely epic. And then you get to that last song, and you're just like, by the time it's done, you're like, phew. That was great. Let's do it all over again. So, uh, yeah, Hallow Be Thy Name, my number one pick. Fantastic. Well, mine will probably be, um, to anyone watching this, no one will see this coming perhaps, is that I was trying to think of something that probably got me into music and really turned me on to guitars and the, the bands that I love. And there is a link, tenuous perhaps, between what you've just said about, especially the word galloping riffs. And it's it's hard-loving uh, man from deep purple in rock because that that track if we go back they obviously a band that heavily influenced iron maiden oh yeah there was nothing else like hard loving man by deep purple that galloping riff there was you know sabbath obviously were also putting down the template of what we know as heavy metal obviously there was zeppelin and all these bands around it but there was nothing really that sounded like Hard loving man. We got speaking with its crash beginning rather than ending. We got child in time, but the last track, and of course the use of stereo, real stereo, where things went from one side to the other of that guitar solo at the very end, um, where it sounds like Richie Blackmore's trying to destroy Strat in the studio, yes. and ends with that little drip of a tap at the <laughs> at the very very end. Uh, it's the track that really sent me down a rabbit hole as this is a genre of music that followed me through my life. So I felt that I had to pick it. It's a track that I played over and over again. It annoyed it annoyed my parents. Of course, how could it not? <laughs> and it still sounds chaotic and really heavy. It probably was a template for speed metal in some ways, certainly the template for Iron Maiden, what Steve Harris was thinking about, you know, a few years later down the line. Um, but I've picked that. Oliver Man by Deep Purple in Rock. Last track, side. Yeah, two. I mean, I could talk about that album all day long. It's my favorite album of all time. And uh, oh. what a great song. And, you know, they never did an al another album quite like it. And so influential, so heavy, and so barnstorming. And yeah, that's a great pick. I'm glad you did because I, I, I felt bad that I didn't include any Deep Purple on my list. You know, again, my number two favorite band of all time. And, you know, while we were while we were chatting, I, I really, you know, it's funny because there's so many great closers 
And it's like, you know, we both mentioned we have an honorable mentions list, but I'm thinking, man, you know, as we were as we we're going through today and talking, I'm thinking all of a sudden all these other songs are coming into my brain that I didn't include in my list. And one just came to me like literally like a minute ago. I'm like, how the hell did I forget Emerald by Thin Lizzy off the Jailbreak album? Yes. <laughs> like, how could I forget? Because that should be in my top 10. That That is yeah. Man, what a banger song that is. Anyway, I mean, we can talk all day about how many songs we've forgotten, but I guess we should go through our honorables real quick. Yeah, right? so uh, honorable mentions. Do you want to go, you want to go first, Pete? Yeah, I'll I'll just rip through them real quick. Uh, so I believe in you by Y&T. Obviously, Emerald is in it now. Uh, so for Sabbath, I mean, fairies wear boots. Under the Sun, Into the Void, oh, Dirty yeah. Women. I mean, all those. Uh, Dream Theater, Learning to Live, off the Images and Words album. Uh, Judas Priest, Island of Domination. From Sad Wings of Destiny, uh, Genesis. There's two of them. I, I really wanted to include Genesis. Uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. Ready, Fountain of Selmasis, right? I mean, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, bring it on home. A little bit of sympathy from Robin Trower from Bridge of Sighs. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Iron Maiden. And probably one of the great early closers, too, kind of along with The Doors and with Jimi Hendrix. But how about Whipping Post by the Allman Brothers off the first album? I mean, that's that's a great, you know, soul sacrifice from Santana, right? So, I mean, there's, there's so many great ones. Anyway, Phil, I'll turn it back over to you. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, Emerald's great choice. Uh, uh, I'd also got down things like Eyes of a Stranger from Queensryche from Upper, Operation Mike. Oh, great. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. That was just bubbling. I thought, shall I include that or not? Um, and obviously, Voodoo Child was on mine. Freebird was on mine. Leonard Skinner. Oh, Freebird, uh, yeah, yeah. And and some of the some kind of left field stuff um, tracks that I've, I've I've really liked over the years, which were tucked away at the last track inside two was Princess of the Dawn by Accept. I've just oh, always brilliant. just always loved that. Yeah. Um, and also, um, and track by Free uh, Seven Angels from the album. Heartbreaker, oh, probably the yeah. heaviest track by Free. Of course, I could have picked All Right Now, but um, that was the one I preferred. And finally, and the, probably no one else will probably think about this in the world, um, the, the Babies. That's a great album. <laughs> the Babies, Broken Heart, and it's um piece of the action, last track, side two. Yeah. Mainly because of the vocal delivery and the kind of guitar playing and the production by the same guy, obviously, it did Lights Out on Nibison. Yeah, so those those are mine. But yeah, there are so many we could have picked. Oh, I'm just thinking now, like the Eagle has landed from the Power and the Glory album by Saxon. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How moody it is, and that great closing guitar solo. Um, yeah, there's so many. We could just sit here for the next half hour and just think about stuff that pops into the top of our head, right? But yeah, so many good ones. Um, Strange Ways by Kiss off of Hotter Than Hell. <laughs> that's another great one. Yeah, uh, that's another good one. Yeah, so many good ones. So yeah, many the, good. Yeah, and yeah, Robin Trow was an obvious one, really. So yeah, uh, he, that became that would become his uh, his closing song, like uh, on towards yeah. forward. You know, it's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, it's funny. You know, a, a lot of times we always talk about the great album openers, and then you, we tend to forget those closers. But I would argue there's just as many great closers as there are openers. Now, openers that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. There's like there's some great ones, and and with the great album openers. You could literally like if it's Phil, if we were to let's just say just hypothetically, if we were to decide, OK, for the next three months, Phil and I are going to each do it. We're going to do three separate shows on favorite album openers and see if like month to month those lists change. And I guarantee you we could have fresh new album openers for three separate months on three separate shows. And every pick would be 
a, a complete banger and worthy of being on a list. So sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, I, hey, <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. I'm ready. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> so, what have you got coming up on Sea of Tranquility, Pete? Uh, let's see. Well, you know, the normal stuff we got uh, Mondays are Hudson Valley Squares night. So it's usually a hard rock and metal discussion, panel discussion thing. We've got uh, coming up, we've got a fun show on In the Prague Seat, which is just all about Prague. And I do a weekly show with Martin Popoff. So we got another fun show happening this week. And uh, we're doing, we do a uh, horror and monster uh, film show called the uh, the Monsters Den every other week, and we're doing oh, our Sea of Tranquility Monsters Den Hall of Fame induction. So what we've done is we everybody on the panel has picked like five classic monster films that we feel should be in a Hall of Fame. We're creating our own Hall of Fame. We've asked our viewers to vote on them. We've got all the votes in, and we're going to be uh, announcing the winners of the uh, films that are getting into our Hall of Fame, and that's happening this Thursday night. So yeah, lots going on as always on Sea of Tranquility. Fantastic. And of course, there's also the Sea Tranquility website as well, if people want to check that out. With t- yeah. Tons of reviews and stuff on there, isn't there, as well? Almost 25,000. Wow. Yeah, Absolutely well, we've fantastic. Been doing it. We've been doing it for over 20 years, so it's now since 2001. So, uh, yeah, 23 years. Crazy. <laughs> fantastic. Well, thanks for your time today, Pete. It's been absolutely thanks brilliant. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Uh, please subscribe. Remember, music is a healer and a doctor, so take care, everyone, and keep spinning those discs. And I shall see you all very, very soon. Thank you. Thanks, Pete.